We are soldiers of the cross, ambassadors of a king. Hallelujah. And we are ready for anything that comes our way. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's turn our Bibles to John, the 16th chapter, verse 33. We're going to wrap this up today about tribulation. And uh, I hope that you learn some things about tribulation. And uh, I'm going to read John 16:33 out of my Bible, but can you put Romans 8:35 up on the screen for me? John 16:33, and it says this: "These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace and a great assurance, an unwavering foundation." In the world, the world where the devil is, the God of this world, his system, in this world, be of good cheer. I'm sorry. In this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. 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 Let there not be a murmur come from the camp. Oh, where'd all the noise go? Hallelujah. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have stripped it of its power. I have nullified. I have abolished his rule and his kingdom even though he's active, just stand and see the salvation of the Lord. So here we see that in the world, that's where we live right now in the world, we're ambassadors here and we're going to have tribulations. But none of these things are to move us. They are not to move us to emotional rebuttals or emotional responses. They are not to move us off of what we know is going to be the end result. One of the things about tribulation is that it blinds those that are unaware of spiritual operations. See, what makes us be able to praise and to rejoice is the same thing in 2 Chronicles when Jehoshaphat saw the armies coming against him. He knew that he could not conquer them. And then he began to pray and he declared a fast. And in that fast, the Spirit of God fell upon a young man, a Levite, the son of a Levite, and he began to prophesy. And he prophesied to Jehoshaphat and Israel, be not dismayed nor discouraged because the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. And he said, you don't need to fight this battle, just stand and see the salvation of the Lord. But having a revelation of what was going to happen from where they were to the point of after the battle, when they got that glimpse of victory, and every promise has that same glimpse for those that look for it, they begin to sing and to praise in the middle of a battlefield. And when they did, the Lord set up ambushments about them. And the Bible says that the armies that came against Jehoshaphat turned one against another 
and Israel, after the battle, took three days to carry away the spoil. When we understand that tribulation is not of God, when we understand that it is an enemy of our soul, and it is an enemy of your soul, it is an enemy of your family's soul, it is an enemy of every believer's soul, that when you see that, when you can see the end of what God will do for you in the midst of it, there should come a praise. Only those that murmur because they cannot see beyond the end of the struggle. But at the end of the struggle, God always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Do what you will, but even in the worst case scenario, one day we're going to rise up, turn to the grave, and declare, Grave, where is thy victory? O sin, where is thy sting? You and I are victorious in Christ Jesus. And nothing can take that away. Nothing can stop it except your decision to use your faith or to stand idly by and let the devil that have no power defeat you. I think it's time to stand up. I think it's time to rise up. I think it's time to stop putting up. I think it's time for us to get up and do what God wants us to do and be who God has made us to be. Could I get an amen? Hallelujah. In this passage of Scripture in Romans 8, 35, it says this. Who? Now, everybody comes along and everything after this is a who. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Somebody say, tribulation can't be from God. Can't be from God. It is an enemy of God. And so people that say, well, God uses tribulation, those are people in verse 35, part B, ignorant. And then, since we're reading part A, or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. For it is written, for thy sake, Jesus' sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, even if we're slaughtered, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then I am persuaded, Paul looking back, examining his life, looking at the prophets according to Hebrews, 10, 35, and 36, to look at them as a, an example of those that were persecuted and brought out. But I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, or any other creature that we may not even be aware of shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we know that tribulation is not of God. Could I get an amen? The great question is, because Christians do not have this persuasion or struggle when things go wrong, questions rise up. They struggle and get confused in their self. But 
we need to know where is God in my tribulation? Where is he? Is he watching idly by? Or is God there in the valley in the battle with us? Well, let's turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians and chapter 1 and verse 4. We're going to read down through 10, 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1, 4 through 10. Well, we better go to verse 3 so you know who Paul's talking about. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comfort us in all of our tribulation? Now, what does God do in tribulation? Does he let us go through it? No, he's doing something. Somebody say he's doing something. He is comforting us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in all the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as we are, as ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall you also be of the consolation. In other words, God comforts Paul and his party in tribulation. He knows that when it comes upon your life, that God's going to do the same for you. And it says, For we would not, brethren, have you to be ignorant of our trouble which came unto us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivers us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. Now Paul tells us that we are going to go through tribulation, the sufferings of Christ. He that is a disciple of his master is not greater than his master. Jesus had tribulation. And why we think that Christianity is supposed to be a walk in the rose garden is I have no idea. But we are in a conflict for souls. We are in a conflict for our families, for our own souls. Tribulation is simply a definition or a little uh, word synonymous to the war and the battles that you and I are in and the uh, uh, snares and the attacks that the enemy uses. Tribulation, persecutions, troubling, sufferings, however you want to classify it, however you want to define it, it does not come from God for the simple fact that its nature does not join you to God. Its nature seeks to break your confidence or connection with God. 
Now, if we never said anything, we would then fully understand that when tribulation comes, any Christian that cares a hoot about their relationship with Christ should become angry and become forceful against any type of tribulation, trouble, distress, or suffering if they are living righteous. Could I get an amen? This is an enemy of your soul. It is not a friend to your spiritual maturity. It is an enemy of your soul. Let, let's just read that. Go to uh, uh, Psalms 107. I think it's Psalms 107 and uh, the first verse, first two verses, just very short. But David defines what tribulation or what persecution is after in his life. Psalms 7 and verse, yeah, 1 and 2. It says, Lord, my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute or bring tribulation or cause suffering or institute trouble towards me. And deliver me, least he who, the author of the persecution, tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. Now you understand that tribulation is after your soul. After your soul. And if you don't deal with it, one day it's going to grow. It's going to get the advantage. It's going to gather some type of dominion over you, and it's going to tear your soul. Oh, that'll never happen to me, said Samson. That'll never happen to me, said Peter. That'll never happen to me, said David. That will never happen to me, said Lot. It can happen to anybody. That's why you have to be aggressive when the enemy becomes aggressive. Could I get an amen? Now here it says that God comforts us in tribulation. In other words, that word comfort means to call near. When tribulation comes, God speaks loudly. That word comfort means that God calls out loudly. He wants us to hear him. And what he's doing is he's calling us near him. He's calling them back to the place of their faith because tribulation can get things unwired. Remember that Paul said, look, we were struggling and despairing. We, our life was slipping away. But then he says, lo and behold, we remembered, oh, we aren't supposed to trust in ourselves. We're supposed to trust in God. See, anybody can forget that God is available. Anybody can forget that God's there to help. But in the midst of every struggle, God is calling to you. Why? He wants you to stay rooted and connected to your faith. And the sentence of every tribulation, persecution, trouble, suffering, and problem is that you trust God and do it His way. You cannot 
do it your way. It has to be done God's way. And Paul said, we have the sentence of death. In other words, Paul said, when we finally got stilled, here come the voice of the Lord, the decree of the sovereign God. Trust in me. Call on me in the time of trouble. Don't lean to your own understanding. It's bigger than you, but it's not bigger than me. So Paul hears the sentence, the decree of a sovereign God. Trust in me, not in yourself. Tribulation is made up of the characteristic of its author. It comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And we already seen that in Psalm 7. So here we are told that we need to make sure that we listen, hear, give ear to what God is saying for you to do in the midst of your problem or your struggle. Now, if you do it on your own, you will come to the end of yourself as Paul did. We despaired even of life. You know, I've run in so many times, people just say, we're believing for a miracle. But if you would have saved on your way to your need, you wouldn't need a miracle. I'm not saying God won't give you a miracle, but someday you've got to grow up and be smart enough to start dealing with things before they get so big that you need 15 miracle workers to pray for you to get you out of your problem. Come on, could I get an amen? Hallelujah. Remember that God is on the inside of us. He's working in us. Even in the midst of our tribulation, when fires are burning, when it looks like that we are going to come to the end of ourselves, God himself is calling out, trust me, return to me, look to me, lift your voice to me. I am here. And so God wants us to trust in him. God is at work on the inside of us. Could again an amen. And so we want to know that God wants you and I to stand patiently. Somebody say patiently. Patiently. Do anybody know what patience means? An unchangeable stance. In other words, it's not, okay, yeah, yeah, this is God. Hallelujah. Oh, no, no, no. I think the Lord said this. No, 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 I, I, no, no, maybe it was this. No, I, what, what, God, what did, oh, okay, oh, yeah, I'm over here. What is that? Prozac land. Prozac land. How many gods are speaking in your life? God doesn't change or alter the thing that is going forth out of his mouth. Psalms 89, 34. So let's not get so schizophrenic that we don't know who is talking or what he is saying. God is at work in us, but he also tells us that when tribulation comes, it worketh what? Patience. In other words, when tribulation comes to move you, God on the inside of you is saying, stand still. Stand still. You're trusting me. Stand on the rock. Stand on the scripture. Say what I told you to say. Believe what I showed you would happen. And so what God is telling us to do is take an unmovable stand in our problems. Be patient. In other words, wait for the Lord's victory. 
It's already yours. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. He's not going to cave in. He's not going to forget you. He's not going to become a liar because something looks tough. God says, take a stand. Just believe that I will do what I said I would do. This is not believing that God will do what he said he will do. This is believing something that you're going to finally hit the right button. No, God's word is filled with power and it'll do what it said it would do no matter where you put it, no matter what it goes through. Nothing can stop the power that lies in the promise of God. Hallelujah. So we are to be patient. Somebody say patient. Hallelujah. Patient. Now, let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians 7. 3 through 7, 2 Corinthians 7, 3 through 7. You know, as much as Paul talks about tribulation, warns us there are many of them, you'd think that we just get it. Hallelujah. And it says this, I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. You, great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful, joyful in all of our tribulation. Joyful. He's probably on drugs. He's joyful. Somebody say he's joyful. Well, it doesn't sound like any office appointment I've had. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fears within and, I'm sorry, were fightings within and without and were, were within fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, what does Paul say? Paul says, look, if you're cast down, if you're cast down, you can't go no further. That's your bottom of the barrel. But Paul says we are comforted. And when he receives this voice, this calling of God in the midst of these hopeless outcomes where he thinks life is totally over for him and all of the people around him have given up to, he hears the voice of God. That's what God does. He lights the spirit of man. In other words, the candle of the Lord, the candle of man is the... Uh, is where God lights our spirit and he'll light our spirit. In other words, he'll begin to lead us. He'll begin to guide us. So in the midst of this, all these things are going wrong. What Paul doesn't do is shut down God by complaining and murmuring. The Bible says, let all things be done without murmuring and disputing. That means all things. That means all things. Could I get an amen? All things. So Paul doesn't shut out the voice of God by his own crying of his soul. 
He says, listen, God is going to comfort us. He's calling us near. He calls us back to our faith, and he tells us, take a solid stand. Just stand. But I need a verse. I need this. Stand. Some of you don't need anything more in your head. There's enough rattling around in there. You're confusing us. Stand. So Paul tells us here that in the midst of it, God is comforting and in our own life, we've got trouble on the outside, but on the inside of us, fear is trying to overtake us. Remember that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but tribulation will short-circuit the rule of the spirit of love and power and a tempered mind and self-control. So we got to make sure that in these tribulations we don't let intimidation or fear. What is intimidation? Intimidation that something's going to happen that you have never seen happen before. It's kind of like the reverse of a promise that you're some, God's going to do something for you that you have never seen happen before. One is born out of faith. The other is born out of fear. Intimidation. Don't be intimidated by things that cannot overcome you amen well what if I do this what if I do oh look if you hit the bottom like Paul did when you come to the end of yourself God is still able to raise you up if they shovel dirt over your body God will raise you up and give you the victory Ask Lazarus, ask the woman of Nain's son, ask the woman in uh, 2 Kings if her son came back alive. Ask the woman in 1 Kings, did her son live again? Ask Lazarus, did he come out of the tomb? Yes. Ask the devils, did Jesus rise up? Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's get a hold of ourselves, shake ourselves, and let us know that God is on our side and we are on the winning side. Hallelujah. But it says this, that, and at the same time, when tribulation is trying to come in and dominate us, trying to intimidate us, there is this igniting of God that lights the candle or our spirit with revelation and it comes to us and says be of good cheer come back to your faith and take a stand that's what God is telling us now what is God doing in the midst of this well God in the midst of this is opening our eyes the last thing God wants you to do is deal with the same old same old all the time old some people are just like puppies all their life they're whining and going in a circle i'm not saying you but i'm telling you those other churches are like that it's the same old problem why because they never deal with it the way god wants you 
to deal with it. You complain, you murmur, you go and tell everybody, oh man, you know, praise God, the devil's come back. Well, get your house decorated different and he'll quit coming. Matthew, the 12th chapter, your unclean spirit goes out, then he comes back, finds a house garnished. In other words, you don't change anything and you expect it to be different. It's not going to be different. Amen. You want your wife to kiss your neck? Praise God. Get different cologne instead of using sweat 101. You smell like a can of oil? Get yourself changed. Hallelujah. My husband never kisses on me anymore. Do you smell like you need kissed? Or do you smell like yesterday's fish? Listen, sometimes we have, you know, in, in, when, when you hunt deer, you can put different things on. Some are attractants and some are uh, distractors, whatever they call it. So if you want to make sure that the deer can't pick you up, you can put on skunk scent or you can put on doe scent. Either way, one is going to repel, the other is going to bring. Now, what kind of scent you spraying on your neck? Amen. You, you know, you, you ought to be nice enough for your husband to be attracted to you. Could I get an amen? You ought to see Phyllis sometimes in the house. Never have to worry about her going out on me. All they got to do is come to the house. If they ask, they say, whoa, geez, never mind, wrong house. But then when she gets ready to go to Walmart, oh, honey, I got to get ready to go to Walmart. I say, why don't you just run over like that? Oh, I can't go out in the public like this. I want to look my best for you. <laughs> Who are you fooling? She's wanting to go over there and get all the compliments. Why? Well, you don't compliment her. She don't look like that at home. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Having said that, praise God. What is God doing? God is calling us back to our faith. He's saying, take a stand. Stop wiggling around and being wish-washy. Stop being intimidated by things that may never happen. Just stop and take a stand. And then what God's going to do is this. God's going to say, now look at yourself. Because when God lights our candle, our spirit, guess what it does? It illuminates hidden things. We can see things laying around in our life that the adversary is trying to take advantage of to strengthen his impact of the trouble, the suffering, or the tribulation that he has brought to our life. See, what you want to do is you want to find out in the tribulation what is the devil or where is the devil putting the pressure on because that is a problem that he has found as he's been going around your house like a roaring lion, he has found a loose board. 
So what God's going to do is God's going to start when he ignites the spirit of man, he's going to illuminate it. And there are going to be things that God's going to say, you need to put this off. You need to put that off. You need to put this off. You need to do this. You need to do that. Why? Because those are the things that the adversary is testing in order to create a future onslaught to your life. That's what he's doing. But what is God doing? God is tempering us. God is changing us. God is fortifying us, calling us back to our faith. Well, why is he calling me back to my faith? Because this is where you were willing to give it all up to live for him. Yeah, yeah, right here. Back to your foundational faith when you first met Jesus. If you can capture that zeal, it will cause you to give it all up so that God can be God. That's where God wants us. We all need to go right back to the root of our faith. Could I get an amen? And then it says this, that we are to commit ourselves to him that hath delivered, doth deliver, and we trust who will yet deliver. In other words, Paul calls us into mindfulness of God's faithfulness. God is not idle. God is not moving. God is not changing. He is continually the same to every person, no matter what the battle entails. God is surrounding us, not only with angelic being, but with his presence. So we don't have to worry what the devil is going to do. God is faithful. Could I get an amen? I'm telling you, God is faithful and he is not idle concerning us and he is not quiet concerning you and I. Let's go back to Psalms 7 and verse 3. Psalms 7 and verse 3. Somebody say, tribulation is coming. But I'm not moving. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are the unmovable. Psalm 7, not 7, 18. Psalm 7 and verse 3. O Lord my God, if I have done this or caused this persecution, he says, if I have done this or if there be any iniquity in my hand towards my enemy. He said, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yes. If I have delivered him that was without cause is mine enemy, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. What is, David, what is David saying here? Tribulation, when God lights your candle, judge yourself. Look at yourself. Have you done anything that has advantaged the enemy? Have you said something? 
Have you been the cause of it? Have you done evil? Remember that evil comes upon, evil brings tribulation upon a righteous man if he commits it. Could have given an amen. Absolutely. Now, what happens is we also want to judge ourselves that we are not responding out of emotion. Somebody say emotion. If you get aggravated in tribulation, whether it's coming from a person, a business, the devil, your dog, your in-laws, I was going to say they're in the same family, but they're not. Uh, then what's going to happen is you are going to respond emotionally. And that's how most Christians respond to problems, emotionally. Emotionally. It's not faith. It's emotions. Yep. And then, then what happens is James 1.19. Can I have that on the screen? James 1.19. James 1.19 says this. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to response. That word wrath means slow to emotional triggers. Slow to emotional triggers. Slow to emotional triggers. Do you quickly respond to arguments in your house? Start a fight? Start a war zone? Well, I can answer that, yes. Why? Because you're a common man or a common woman. Now, let me ask you this. Has it ever fixed anything? Oh, I'll answer that for you. You have the same outcome as me. No! Doesn't fix anything. Why? Because you have not taken the opportunity to change yourself. Oh, but my wife just pushes the buttons. Why are the buttons there? Well, my husband just, just knows how to irritate me. Why are you irritated? Put baby powder on. Get rid of the rash. But do not. But when you start responding to tribulation, to trouble, to financial pressures, anything that causes you to try to deal with it without God, you're going to respond in an emotional way. You know, people come in and they, they say, you know, my husband doesn't love me anymore. I say, well, thank God you finally eliminated him. But I love him. Why would you love somebody who don't love you? Now, listen, I, I love Phyllis. I never want her to leave. But if she leaves, she ain't taking my dignity, she ain't taking my joy, and she ain't taking my value. I will help her get her stuff packed. I will help her carry out to the car or wherever. You know, if the guy's got a van, maybe he ain't, maybe got a motorcycle. Maybe she'll be Miss Easy Rider. I don't know. But if she goes, she ain't taking, she ain't taking my value. She ain't taking my dignity. No, no, she ain't taking none of that. But, but won't you hurt? I'll get right over it. God is a healer of the brokenhearted. 
Oh, yeah, listen, I, I, I wouldn't go through a divorce responding emotionally to people. I'm liable to kill somebody. I don't want to kill nobody. Who in the world wants to go to prison for killing their wife when she didn't love you? Now, I would kill somebody for her because she loved me and I loved her. But if she stops loving me, she's on her own. Some of you are saying, could you really do that? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. See, you, are, you need to quit being an emotional person unless it's expressing your joy, your admonition, and your surrender to Christ. But when your emotions start dictating how you're responding to others, you are out of control. Hallelujah. Here's what you're supposed to do to those that cause you tribulation. Romans 12, 14. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them and curse them not. Bless them. Bless them. Throw, I got rocks in my, in, 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 at my house that say blessing on them. But if somebody wrongs me, I bless them. I bless them. I bless their car window. I bless their kids. I bless their dog. I hope they bring the whole clan over. I bless them all. Not really, but I don't write bless me on some of my bullets. Bless them, God, bless them. <laughs> no. You need to bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Well, he stole my wife. If she could be stolen, she wasn't worth keeping. But she took my husband. <laughs> Where did she take him? Didn't take him any place he didn't want to go. Hey Amen. If I want a dog, I'll go down in the pound and get one. I'm not going to set my trash out to get the neighbors. They don't want him. Why do I want him? Look, find yourself somebody else to love that's worth loving. You just discovered somebody that, I don't know why I'm saying this, you just discovered somebody that ain't worth loving. I got a lot of love in me. And Phyllis has been blessed to be blessed with me. But if she, if she said, I don't want it anymore, I'd say, okay, somebody else will. I had a guy, and I know the guy, he's in the church, he, I won't tell you his name. He put an ad in the paper looking for a Christian woman. A woman knocked on the door and she said, hey, I come to answer the ad. He married the woman. It can't be that hard. Some of all you people always looking for, oh, I wish this, it's got to be this, it's got to be that. Look, your list ain't working because you ain't got none to offer. Do away with the list and take anything that stumbles your way. <laughs> Women tell me, I I'm looking for a handsome man. He's got to have money. He well, what are you? I'm broke and ugly. Well, I believe in harvest, but I don't believe in that kind of harvest. Look, we as Christians have got to stop being emotionally motivated to actions because it will shut off the activity of righteousness. 
it will. Now let's go to 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. And we'll read through 10. Be sober. That doesn't mean stay off of bud. But you shouldn't be drinking bud anyway. Let me say this while I'm here. I, I've got to get out of my system. Most of you know I don't believe in drinking. But the bottom line is, why do I not believe in drinking? Now, I believe in the power of drinking. I believe it can make you an alcoholic. I believe it can steal all your money. You put it in one hole and dump it out the other. And every dollar 35 or how much is a beer now? <laughs> Nobody's going to say, yeah. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to open their mouth on that one. All right. Let, 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 ah, glory. Let, let's just say, I don't know, 350. Let, let's say 350. So you put 350 in, you pee 350 out, and you're less 350, and you're renting. I can't afford to buy. Quit peeing. Quit drinking. Quit peeing. You can buy a house. You peeing one down the drain every week. Now look. Wine is not made out of grain. Does anybody know what grain is? It is the basis of all leaven. You know that we are not to have any leaven in our life? None. So you can't drink strohs. You can't and, and that that's not wine anyway. You're just trying to redefine it. No, all alcoholic beverages but wine are made out of grains. And we are not to have any leaven in our life. Now that's one. The other is, if a priest in the Levitical priesthood and the law is not for the righteous but for the unrighteous, telling us what is sin, what is acceptable, and what's not, we are the priest of God. If you took one drink of wine in the priesthood, you could not stand and minister to the Lord. In other words, you couldn't talk to him, you couldn't petition him, you couldn't skin an animal, you couldn't shed any blood, you couldn't lift up your voice to God, you could not be involved in the temple, you couldn't even put on your garments. So since we are priests ministering unto the Lord all the time, you can't take a drink of wine unless you're going to say, hey, Jesus, I'm taking the day off. And the Bible says all things are expedient, but we don't need to be brought into the bondage of any. And the Bible classifies that you can drink wine for your stomach's sake. But we don't have to do that now because we have Pepto-Bismol. Now, I, I'm just telling you, you, it is not even a question today who drinks. The great discovery are those that don't. I'm just telling you right now, I've said more about alcohol than 90% of the preachers will say in the next 20 years because they're afraid of sud, guzzling, beer-drinking, wine-sucking Christians. I'm not afraid of you. Because there's enough scripture in the Bible that tells you not to do it.
you ever wonder what those purifying pots were when the Bible says that they poured water in the purifying pots? It didn't say they poured them in the wine pots. There's no such thing as a wine pot. The feast was there, and a priest was there to perform the ceremony and to bless the food and the wine. That priest would use the purifying pots. What was he purifying? That wasn't wash water. It was purifying the wine. The wine would be cut up to seven times because if a sin was committed at that wedding, it fell on that priest and his family. He would become cursed because of another person's wrong. Now, so what they, he would do is he would cut it. So when Jesus pulled it out, why did you think he'd say, oh, this was the best wine? That means it's more expensive. The flavor was more tasteful. It was more pleasant to the taste buds. Why? Because the priest had been diluting it in order to keep himself and the people clean. Real simple. But what Christians want to do, they want to drink. Ask the person in the graveyard that got hit by a drunk if they're glad you drank that last glass. Ask your children when they get old or when they're young at the age of 15 or 16 and they're drinking behind your back and they get into a car. That mommy, I'm so glad that I'm in this wheelchair and you taught me how to get here. Tell me how necessary it is that you have to drink for every dollar that is spent on alcohol in America. It takes $3 to deal with your problems. I believe in the power of drinking. I believe it'll ruin your life. I believe it'll open the door for you to be excessive. Well, I don't get drunk according to what state you're in. When you get to heaven, I don't know what the breathalyzer will say. But it might be lower than the state of Ohio. You better hope it's not. Listen, you step out on the, into your car and you drive down a road taking other people's lives. Listen, there are people in our church that have lost families to people that thought one drink won't matter. But it always leads to another and another. I think it's time just to live. I don't think Jesus would show up at the pub. Oh, he'd be there ministering to sinners. <laughs> I'm sure you'd be there and he'd find you. And I'm just pulling your leg. I don't think you'd be there. Well, next, well, let's go to 1 Peter 5. Hallelujah. Let's look at 1 Peter 5, 8. Why did you take so long to get there? You got me in all this kind of trouble. What? Well, thank you. Be sober. Who put that word in there? Be vigilant. In other words, watch because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist? Somebody say resist. In the what? Calling back to your faith knowing that the same afflictions that are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto eternal... I just... Now, why is that spirit of heaviness here? Because I talked to you about drinking. Yeah. 
I could talk the rest of the service about drinking. Look, if you're going to go home and say, well, he just condemns me. Listen, if what I said could condemn you, you better watch out for judgment. Because God will get, listen, if a man can challenge what you're doing, then God is not behind what you're doing. Now we're going to move on in the spirit of celebration. All right. But the God of grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, now you see what God is doing in the middle of tribulation when the season of tribulation is over. While you're under this pressure, while you're suffering in this trouble, what is God doing? He is perfecting you, he's establishing you, he's strengthening you, and he's settling you to be unmovable. That's what God is doing on our behalf. Hallelujah. Now, here's how we deal with tribulation. First of all, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Better make it quick. Hallelujah. Hey, can you take that back and show me that picture again? I told you, Phyllis, and platform shoes, you thought they'd be funny. Look at that. All right. Hey, can you take that bulge out there in the middle? Can, all, right, all right, anyway. Oh. For our light, somebody say light. Keep it in mind, no tribulation is heavy. None. It does not exist. To the man that stays in faith, tribulation is light which is but for a moment. Somebody say, it's always momentary. And it always works. Somebody say, it's working for me for a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, how do we get that? Right here. Next verse, yeah, go to the next verse. While, while we look not at the things which are seen, the problems, the tribulation, and all the things that are going, if you get your eyes on them, Tribulation becomes heavy, unbearable. But at the things which are not seen, the promises of God, for the things which are seen are temporal. They're going to change. They're going to intensify. They're going to get lighter. But the things which are not seen, God's promises are unchangeable and can be trusted. So the first thing we want to do is somebody say, tribulation is light. Now, if it's light, we don't complain right when i first got married i swished phyllis across that threshold years later we had a a marriage retreat i quickly lifted her up <laughs> tried to get her through the door she wouldn't fit so i had to turn her this way not not no not that i mean i was trying to take her that way and i, I so i finally got about halfway and i said honey put your legs down darling <laughs> it's, why? I looked at things that were seen, and they were heavy. All right, so we need to make sure that they are light. And then the second thing, we look at James, and somebody say, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Folks, there's nothing to be sad about knowing that tribulation worketh in you. It's working for me. 
it's doing something to change me, to transform me. And if I do it God's way, I end up being God's workmanship at the end of the battle. Amen? So I don't moan and complain when tribulation comes. I just make sure I keep it in its proper perspective. It's light. It's but for a moment, and it's working for me. And then James 1, 2, count it all joy when you fall into divers, or many of them, different kinds of tribulation. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. David, you want to be happy today? Good. May God not let your car start. I want to hear you singing from the parking lot. Now, why is David going to sing? Because one of you is going to take him home and he's going to save $3. Now, but do you realize that when it comes, what we're supposed to do, if you know that it's light, but for a moment, and it's working for you, why wouldn't you celebrate? Why wouldn't you be happy? Count it joyful. Count it joyful. Listen, when you start praising God, you still the enemy. Psalms 8, 2, you still him. You imprison him. You paralyze him from his activity. Praise God. So we need to do that, amen? When you praise God, you release God, as Jehoshaphat did. You release him to do something on your behalf. So we want to make sure that we view it as it is, light. Somebody say light. Momentary. Momentary. There you go. Hallelujah. And it works for us. Next time your in-laws come, say, hey, praise God. Count it all joy. Here they come. Yep. And then prayer. You need to pray. Philippians 1.19, Paul says, I know that this imprisonment, this tribulation, this trouble, this time of suffering right here in this prison is going to turn to my salvation because you pray, I'm praying, and God is going to send his spirit. We need to pray, not only in the natural, but we need to pray in the Holy Ghost. When you know not what you should pray for, the Holy Ghost, somebody say the Holy Ghost, will help us and give us utterances, moanings and groanings that we cannot articulate in English language nor describe. And the Bible says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto man, but unto God, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. You know that the, the Holy Ghost will deal with your tribulation and its problems with a supernatural language. See, praise, when it is prayed, is prophetic. You're declaring the end of something even though you have never seen it. That's what praise does. Thank God, hallelujah, he blessed me. And it's coming out. It's prophetic. It's a decree. But then when you pray in tongues, the Holy Ghost knows right where the devil is. Jesus said in Revelations 2, 7, I know where Satan is seated. He knows where he is. And he will give you utterances that will deal with that supernatural being. You may not know how, but he knows how. Amen? So many are the afflictions of the righteous. 
I expected everybody to say, well, hallelujah. So we'll try that again. <laughs> Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Hallelujah. But God delivers us out of them all. Amen. There, there you go. So we're not going to ever again murmur about tribulation. We know that it's light, but for a moment, and is working for us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It is working for us. Amen? Hallelujah. Working for us. Hallelujah. Are you the one that has back problems? Or that guy just got up and left? He does. He does. He going to the bathroom? He went to go get her daughter. Went to go get her daughter. Well, I, I haven't even started yet. This is the introduction. No, I'm going to pray for your husband. He has a slip third and fourth disc? Uh, no, I don't know. He thinks he has a pinched nerve. Okay. Oh, that would be a, like a deteriorating disc. Okay, we're going to pray for him. And uh, he's going to be okay. All right? You won't have to listen to him moan and groan. You wait till later years. Okay? All right. We're going to pray for him in just a moment. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands up towards heaven. Hallelujah. Praise God. God delivers us out of them all. They are light, they are momentary, and they work for us. We count it all joy when they come. Hallelujah. We count it all joy. God, we are people that still the adventure through our praise. We release you, God, into our battlefields because of our thanksgiving and adorations and praises to you. God, we are a people of prayer, not only in our natural language, but God, in a supernatural language. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you are not filled with the Holy Ghost today, you don't speak in tongues. If uh, you would just raise your hand. Raise your hand if you don't speak in tongues right now. Hey, man, where, how'd you get back here so fast? Somebody left me over there. Where's the little one? I haven't got her yet. You left her? Yep. Oh, man, gee, my knee. Okay, now you uh, did, did they? She said you had like a pinched nerve, mm -hmm. but is that because of a deteriorating disc? I, I've never went to the doctor or nothing. Okay, all right. Okay, uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, I work at the St. Mary's Foundry. Okay, I love foundry work. <laughs> I worked at Quincy Foundry, which Iron Foundry. I worked at Ross Foundry, aluminum. I loved it. And then God called me to come out and preach. I said, I don't want to go. No, absolutely not. I liked it. I liked it. But here I am. I'm cleaned up. Foundry, man. Hallelujah. Uh, how long you been there? Um, off and on, 11 years. Off and on. I know foundry people do that. Forget you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm going to pray for you and God's going to heal your back and uh, take care of that and uh, any problems you have going down your legs sometimes. That's going to be taken care of. And uh, now, do you always get that tension right in the middle of your back? It's, yeah, in the lower back. Okay, yep. well, we're going to take care of that too. And uh, hallelujah. Do you pour mold? Yeah, I pour. Do you? Mm -hmm. Okay. I used to do that, but I used to have to, like, <laughs> I was just too short. <laughs> they wouldn't lower the line for me to pour. I pour molded and I did all that kind of stuff. Hallelujah. And uh, all right, raise your hands up. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I speak, God, to this nerve, and I command it right now, God, 
to become uninflamed. I commanded God to move, not to be pinched. I commanded to be free. And God, I loose the working of miracles. And God, I loose this tension in the middle of his back, his lower back area. I command it to be healed in Jesus Christ's name. I command you to loose him and to set him free in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. There you go. You're going to be fine. No more problem. Your wife says she don't want to hear you complaining no more. Get in there and work some overtime. I'm kidding. Hallelujah. Now, if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, raise your hand. If you don't have the evidence of speaking in tongues. All right, stand your feet. 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 Just stand to your feet right now. Hallelujah. A uh, couple guys get around these people. I want you to lay hands on them. We're going to lay uh, back here. There's one in the corner there. Praise God. Randy, you can get up and go. So get around them, lay hands on them. And uh, Rob, okay. Uh, here, we got two young ladies back here. And none of you young guys are back here. Both these ladies, gee, my knee. These guys are not very bright. They could have went back there and got them filled with the Holy Ghost. And... All right, you ready? Hallelujah. All right, now, all of us are just going to lift our hands up. We're going to worship God. Can you give us a song, somebody? All right, give us a song, uh, Ashley. And what we're going to do is these guys are going to pray with these people. They're going to get filled with the Holy Ghost today. Hallelujah. Go ahead, guys. Start praying. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just lose the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence tongues upon these people. In Jesus Christ's name. In the name of Jesus. of believers living for Christ we will never be shaken we will never be moved we will run to the chaos and into the fire be shaken we will never be moved generations of believers living for Christ we will never be shaken we will never be moved we will run to Living for 
Thank you, God, for giving people life where death has reigned. And Father, we just give you praise and glory for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That God, the afflictions may be many, but our deliverances are always sure. God, we call upon you in the time of trouble. You answer us. God, our afflictions are light, momentary, and they're always working for us. God, we rejoice when tribulation comes our way because we know the devil knows something is going on. God, we are always a people of prayer, and we thank you for it. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Jesus. He is the only one that can erase your past. He's the only one that can forgive your sins. He's the only one that will bring you to the only true and living God. No man can come to the Father except by Jesus Christ. There is no question, there is no confusion, and there is no debate. Jesus Christ himself is the truth, the way, and eternal life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'd like for you to pray for me. I'm, I just need Jesus. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand wherever you are right now. Wherever you are and say, Pastor, that's me. I need for you to pray for me. If you see a hand, let me know. All right, I'm presuming everybody's headed for heaven. Hallelujah. All right, let us pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lose blessing upon you, upon these people. God, I lose favor upon them. I ask you, God, to protect and keep their families. God, until we come back together, keep them, God, walking the pathway of holiness. God, let them ever be grateful and thankful to you. Let them be a people of praise and a people of testimony. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.